0: You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, today uh, I'm going to begin a two-week focus today and next week on giving money and stewardship. Normally, around this time of year, if you've been here for a while, you'll know that around this time of year, we address this subject because we believe it is so important as an area of discipleship and and, and our relationship with God. And you might think, is is this a fundraising campaign? I want to assure you we're, we're not about to twist any arms. We're not looking to coerce anybody. We're not going to take a special offering before you leave on the back of this. But we passionately believe this is a really significant area of discipleship. If you are here for the first time today, as I said a moment ago, welcome to you. And uh, you know, we, we used to apologize for speaking to our visitors when we were speaking about money, but uh, we make no apology. Actually, this is a core area of discipleship, but I do want to let you know if you're here for the first time today and come back next week. We're not talking about money every week, but you do happen just to have hit the moment where we are going to do that. It's my observation that there are some churches Uh, speak about money too much, as if it was the most important thing, and it isn't. It's not the most important thing, but it is an important thing. But some churches where there is a sense of pressure and coercion, there are mini sermonettes before the offering every week, and some of you know that because you've been in those types of churches. But there also seem to be some other churches where the leaders are too scared to broach the subject of money and giving. I'm, 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 not, I'm not one of those guys. Uh, it's how I've come to know God partly in my life. It's part of the revelation of who God is in my walk. I thank God for a revelation in the area of giving. But some leaders seem scared to broach. You don't want to offend anybody. And actually, in doing that, fail to help people in the place of surrender and faith. So we come and we ask that God might help us. Uh, of course, there is a reality that here as, as church that uh, everything that goes on here, all of the ministries, all the work, all the, the disciple-making, all the different age groups, the, the, the work of God among His people, and our missions work, what we give out from here to our missions, partnerships, works, the work in the city, the advancement of that, plus the infrastructure of staff, a hard-working staff team who, who gives so much to make this work, the chairs we sit on, the lighting, the heat, all of that, um, it comes almost exclusively from the giving of God's people. So there is a join between the outworking of our vision and the acceleration of our, of our vision and the giving of God's people. But as we've said many times before, um, thank you so much to those who faithfully give into the vision. But if we were bankrolled by a billionaire, uh, and we're not at this point in time, we would still teach into this. Because this is such a key area of discipleship. The truth is, God is after your heart. Why don't you say that with me? God is after your heart. Why don't you say, God is after my heart. God is after, he's after my heart. And he's drawing you and he's drawing me into a place of relational dependency. This is who God is. is. This is what the cross is about. He is drawing us into a place of relational dependency upon him into a relationship of covenant where we are his and and he is ours, where he who has already given everything for us draws us to a place where we let go of everything we have to him and he releases everything he has to us, which, by the way, if you haven't figured it out, means we end up way the better deal here. But he's drawing us into that place of relationship, but it means surrender. Jesus says in Matthew six twenty one, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you love cars and you plow a lot of money into a car, you will love that car. There'll be something, it won't just be a thing. Where, you, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And God is after our hearts. And one of the biggest battlegrounds can be whether we will trust and honor Him in the area of our substance and our finance. And it can be like a chain that we didn't realize was on us until we surrender, and then we're free. But moreover, we also, we have an enemy. We are in a spiritual battle. An enemy wants to hold us in a place of fear around money, a, a place of poverty, of control, of pride. In fact, anything other than freedom and surrender. And it can be a battle, and not only in my own walk, but in talking to others, it can be an area where we can get victory and somehow have to keep coming back to and revisiting, which is one of the reasons why we speak into this on an annual basis. Today, I'm going to start looking uh, for us as a covenant people at uh, the area of tithing. And the title for today is First Things. I wonder if we can say First Things together. First things. We're going to speak uh, today, I'm going to speak about first things. Tithing is the idea, some of you might be new to church, tithing is the idea where, where we give a tenth, which is what the tithe means. The, the Hebrew word massa means literally a, a tenth portion, and we'll look in a moment of how this originates in scripture. The idea where we give a tenth of our income to God. Now obviously we, we can't physically, personally give it to him, so we give it to his work, which was the pattern throughout the Old and the New Testament, but as a representation of giving to God. This is an entirely biblical idea, and I believe, t- I believe tithing is a starting point for us as New Testament people. I began tithing when I was 19. I'd become a Christian just a little while earlier, and I felt challenged and convicted that I needed to begin giving a tenth of my income To the Lord as part of my trust in Him. Now you've got to understand at that time my my income was way inadequate for my expenditure. This was not a decision out of an abundance. As a student, I I don't know exactly, but I probably had something like 50% of what I needed really to survive. So the idea of tithing that that 50% and bringing that down to 45% kind of doesn't doesn't really make a lot of sense. But it was an act of faith. And as I stepped out and did that, uh, something incredible happened in that I saw the favor of God on my life. I, and through a whole load of things, there, were, there was no, you know, I, I never got a gold bar from heaven, but I began to experience the favor of God. I got some good deals on, th- I'd go into the shops and things that I was hoping to buy were on special offer and, and I ended up getting some really great jobs as a student that paid well and got long hours and, you know, I, I got some given some gifts and various things. And I, anyway, that was my first year I began tithing. I finished my university 14 pounds in credit, which is a modern-day miracle. And, um, but my point is that, that it, it didn't make sense, but it, it set me off on a journey of trusting God, the principle of first things. The huge question here, of course, that, that you may well be asking is, should we tithe? This isn't that Old Testament this we're, we're living in New Testament. Isn't this legalistic? Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I can't afford to do this. So I want to look today at why should I tithe and how should I tithe? Why should I tithe and how should I tithe? Firstly, why why should I tithe? Well, I'd like to turn us first up to... Some verses in the book of Malachi, but if you've been around church or churches for any time, really importantly, want to understand we're going to start here, but then we're going to back up, because it's really important we back up and don't base, I believe, teaching on tithing purely out of Malachi. But if you turn with me to Malachi chapter 3, we are going to read some verses there from uh, verse 6 through to 12. I think going to come up on the screen for you, and this is what the Bible says. I, the Lord, do not change. Well, that's interesting for a start. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, the Lord says, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? "'In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, "'your whole nation, because you're robbing me. "'Bring the whole tithe.'" Can we all say whole tithe? "'Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse "'that there may be food in my house. "'Test me in this,' says the Lord Almighty, "'and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven "'and pour out so much blessing "'that there will not be room enough to store it. "'I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops.'" The vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. And the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Here in Malachi, the the Lord's people, who are a covenant people... This is God's people that they have turned away from their covenantal obligations. They have come into covenant where God says, I will bless you, I will favor you, you are mine, the nations will call you blessed, but but you need to behave in a certain way that you reciprocate your covenantal responsibilities or obligations. And we see in Malachi, which is a demanding book, a prophecy coming and, and bringing out four ways that God's people have broken covenant. Firstly, that the, they are at that time bringing di- diseased and lame animals for sacrifice. Not the best, but the leftovers. What God is saying, oh, bring a spotless, unblemished lamb, and they're looking for the ones that aren't gonna make it anyway, and then sacrificing. that. That's the first. We're, we're just bringing the leftovers. Now, some of us, we can bring the leftovers of our week when we come to worship. We can bring the leftovers Financially, being secondly, unfaithful in their marriages. Or you know, people who've made covenant with husbands and wives and turning away. He says, You're you're breaking covenant with me because I've ordained marriage. Thirdly, the neglecting of justice and the oppressing of the poor. He says there's an obligation. You're my people, you need to look after the poor. And fourthly, here failing to bring their tithes into the storehouse. You see, and in the law the Lord is ex- extremely clear that his people are to bring a tenth of what they have to him. He says it, he says it belongs to him. It's not, it's not that this is an offering that would be nice. It belongs to me. It's not yours, it's mine. So for instance, Exodus 23, 19, where first he says, bring, bring the, best of the best of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Le- Leviticus 2730, a tithe of everything from the land where the grain of the soil, fruit of the tree, belongs to the Lord. Belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In other words, it's it's not deemed to be theirs, it's deemed to be the Lord's. And then he says bring it, not some of it, but bring all of it, and trust me. In fact, in fact, he says, test me. He goes beyond trust me, and for the, the only place in Scripture, as far as I'm aware, he, he says, not only trust me, he says, you can test me in this. You do You do what you need to do, and you can test me. I will not let you down here, but we need to back up a little bit, because many of us, we come to this, we kind of think, well, that's Malachi, that's Israel. How does that relate to me? I'm a follower of Jesus. I totally understand those questions. What we have to understand is, is the law is an articulation of God's ways, but there is a principle. Can we all say principle? There's a principle that's found articulated here which goes before the law and is after the law, and it's this, that the first and the best belong to God from his people. If I'm going to be a covenant person in relationship with God, if I'm a follower of Jesus, giving my life to him, well, ultimately, he comes to a place of saying, unless you give up everything you have, you can't be my disciple. If I put myself in covenant with him, then there is a principle that the first and the best belong to him. And then there's also a principle that his favor and blessing are on my life. The first and the best belong to God. So let's back up. There's the law, but let's come before the law. Let's go to the book of Genesis. Right at the start of the book of Genesis, Genesis 2, we see this right at the beginning. God creates the heavens and the earth according to the creation account, seven days of creation. Man and, and woman, male and female, are created on the sixth day, and the seventh day is a holy day. It's a day that belongs to the Lord. It's the seventh day. It's a Sabbath, and it says it's holy. It's devoted to the Lord. It's the Lord's day. It belongs to Him. But know this. For Adam and Eve, it was their first day. They were created on day six. On day seven, before they can do anything, the day belongs to the Lord. It's the first time we see this principle. The first and the best belong to God. He creates their their incredible garden. They're in creation. They're created for walking with him, but their first day belongs to the Lord. They have children. They have two sons, Cain and Abel. And in Genesis 4, we see the story of Cain and Abel. The Bible says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some. It's really interesting. There's There's casual phrasing to this. In the In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel also brought an offering. The fat portions, which are the best portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Let's not miss this point. The Lord cannot separate the offering from the offerer. What we bring, how we live our lives, our lives should be an act of worship Worship is is not primarily what we've just done in singing, although that is an aspect of it. Our lives are worship. What we bring to Him, our offering before Him cannot be separated from us as the offerer. So Cain, the Bible says, was very angry. His face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it or rule over it. We see again that the first and the best belong to God. Abel brings the fat portions from the firstborn, and it says that it was pleasing to the Lord, but, but Cain was somehow casual. And, and he comes, he says to Cain, he doesn't say, I, I, I reject you. He says, what do you, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted too. Now, the, the terrible thing is that Cain, instead of correcting it and doing what is right, he goes out and kills his brother and gets banished. Genesis 14: Abraham, this is all before the law. This is, it's not, let's, let's understand this. This is principle in the Bible. Genesis 14, Abraham, the man of God, meets somebody called Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is this mysterious person. He's described as a high priest. He's described as the king of Jerusalem. He brings out the bread and the wine. That Most, most theologians would believe, and I believe this is what would be called a Christophany. It's an appearing of Jesus, the, the eternal son of God, in bodily form to Abraham, And, and so Abram, the man of God, meets Melchizedek, and it says this in, in Genesis 14, verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, or Jerusalem, brought out bread and wine. Hello? I think the clue phone is ringing. He was the priest of the Most High God. Well, Jesus is our high priest. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God, most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And then the Bible says, then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Well, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't say he asked for it. It's like you could use a little more information here. But I wonder if it's just a heart response in the presence of God. His response is to, to give a tenth of everything he has. We see this comes up uh, again uh, with, with Jacob In Genesis 28, Jacob encounters God at Bethel, and then he says "He says this. Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me. See Jacob's heart in covenant here. If God will be with me, if he'll watch over me on this journey I'm taking, if he'll give me food to eat, if he'll give me clothes to wear, and ensure that I return safely to my father's house, then he'll be my God. And this stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, Lord, I will give you a tenth. Why does he say that? Well, I, I say this is all before the law. Exodus 13, it's before the law is given. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs, belongs to me. I've highlighted that, whether human or animal. Excuse me laboring this a little here today, but I want us to grasp this. I know many of you have grasped this. If you have grasped this, hopefully this comes as an encouragement to you today. But there is a principle before the law that the first and the best belong to God. There's a principle of covenant living. And then what happens is, is that the law is given. When I want to understand this, and this is really, really important to understand, is, is the law does not, does not invent the principle. It articulates the principle. The, the law doesn't come in and invent a principle. It doesn't like God says, well, we've been living at a, a, a certain way, but now the law and bring in new stuff. And certainly here, any, any of this, any of this that, that expresses how the people of God are to execute this principle, which is laid down, it's not an invention of the principle, it's an articulation of the principle. So the principle exists already. It doesn't invent the principle; articulates the principle. Just put that new f- next phrase up for me, David. And then, when Jesus comes, he doesn't abolish the law. And stay with me here. Uh, I know this is this is deep today. He doesn't abolish the law; he fulfills the law. Let me understand. Uh, try and explain what I mean by that. Well, let's turn to Matthew five. So Jesus comes, the Messiah comes, and he brings in a new covenant. So yes, we're not living under the law. So what do we do with the law? Do we discard the law? Well, Jesus comes and he says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So I have to understand what that means. He, he says this, Matthew 5, uh, Do not think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter Not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't say you won't get in. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, who, by the way, were experts in righteousness... And the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus leads us into a new covenant. He says, I've not come to abolish, I've come to fulfill. What does that mean? Well, the very next thing he says, he illustrates twice. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. Now, we've probably all heard the Ten Commandments. That, that it's One of the commandments was, do not murder. It comes from a principle that we should love and honor one another. So at the very least, God says, well, it, let's at least, not, at least not murder each other. Can we keep that? But then Jesus comes. He doesn't abolish that. He fulfills it. By fulfilling it, he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say to you, do not get angry with your brother. What's he saying? He's saying the the real principle, there is a root, there is a seed that gives rise to murder. That is anger. You've heard it said, I'm not abolishing that. I'm fulfilling it. I'm saying don't even get angry. If you're going to the altar and you've got an offering and you remember your brother's got something, there's something between you, please go and sort it out first. That's what he says. This is what it means to fulfill the law. He takes a second illustration. He says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, do not look with lust upon someone that, that is not your wife. Because the the seed of adultery is found in lust. So Jesus, he doesn't abolish the law. So here's the point. I think the the law was once the ceiling, it was the bar, and it's now become the floor. So what what was once something to attain to is now a place that we begin. Of course, this is a challenge for us. What does it mean? No, should... Should we tithe? Does it mean we should tithe? For me, where where it it leads us to is why Jesus says, unless you give up everything you have, which I I don't personally believe means unless you give everything away, although you may be asked to do that, but that everything we have, we hold lightly. We loosen our grip. It's not ours. Our lives, our future, where we live, where we go, and ultimately, it's not ours. We're His, Unless you give up everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. So, so like the, the idea of I'm going to give a tenth. Well, it, well, it's all his. That that's the fulfilment of the law, surely. So, does it mean we should still tithe? Well, if it, see, here's the challenge. Because some people say, well, it's all his, so you know, I, why should I tithe? but it's a starting point. It's a place to start. And you might say, well, did Jesus say that? And yes, he did. So if you go to Matthew 23, 23, he's speaking to the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he says this, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now catch this, You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. He doesn't say, I'm not interested in that anymore. I'm interested in this. He says, you should have moved to higher ground without neglecting the lower ground. You see, here's the thing. The Pharisees, they were tithing even on their spices. It's like they got a Mars bar. They'd measure a tenth off. They'd cut it and they'd bring it to the Lord. Everything they were so fastidious that they didn't miss a tithe. And he says, you're even tithing on your spices. But he says, don't don't neglect that. But actually there's higher ground. And so for me, I think it's a great starting point for us as believers as covenantal people, because the principle hasn't changed. The truth is it all belongs to God. Some of you have heard uh, J. John's Donut Story, there's a guy at an airport, and he's, he's getting ready for his flight, and he has a little bit of time to kill, and he decides to go and get a coffee, so he gets a coffee, he gets to the till, and there's a, there's a bag of mini donuts at the till, and he picks them up, and he turns around, and he, he looks out, and there's, there's nowhere for him to sit, every table is taken, but he spots, there's a table with a guy, and there's a seat free opposite him, so he goes there, and he puts his coffee down, he takes his coat off, puts his bag down, to the side. He sits down, takes a sip of his coffee, and then he opens the bag of donuts. He takes one out. The guy opposite him that he's just joined reaches over to the bag of donuts, pulls it towards him, takes one out, pushes it back, smiles at the first guy. The guy thinks, what on earth? What is he doing? Those are my donuts. And he's really feeling angry, and he wants to say something, but he he doesn't know who this guy is. Maybe he's a bit of a nutter, because that's not the normal thing to do. And so he doesn't say anything, but he gives him one of those looks, like if looks could kill. Anyway, he eats his donut a little bit later. he, He gets the bag, he takes another, and he takes the bag, and he brings it, and he sits it right beside his coffee cup. The guy on the other side gets up, reaches over to the bag, takes the bag, takes another donut and smiles at him. The guy's thinking, what is happening here? Who are you, you donut thief? This is, these are my donuts. But he doesn't say anything. This goes on a little while later. The, the, the guy who was originally at the table, he gets up to leave, and he puts his coat on. He looks at the guy. He looks at the bag of donuts. He picks it up. There's one left. He breaks it in half. He eats half and puts half back in the bag, nods at him, waves, and makes his leave. The guy at the table can't believe it. He thinks, you've got your dirty mitts on my last donut. I don't know if I'm even going to have it. I can't believe what's just happened to him. 15 minutes goes by, it's time for him to board. So he gets up, he puts his coat on, he bends down to his bag, and on top of his bag is his bag of donuts. <laughs> He's been eating the other guy's donuts. You see, here's the thing that that, you know, he he thought the other guy was taking his donuts and he was sharing his donuts. You see, we. This is actually comes down to an ownership issue. You see, if I think it's all mine and I think God wants to take a tenth, I've missed the point. It's all his and he just says, bring a tenth to me because it belongs to me and watch me bless the rest. Secondly and quickly, how should I tithe? Why should I tithe? Because there's a the principle of first things that belong to God, but how, how should I tithe? Well, firstly, We should tithe with integrity. You know, some people grappling with this ask practical questions like, you know, if I pay tax, should I tithe gross or net? Should I tithe to the local church? Can I split it out to different causes? And I want to say this, you know, I've heard lots of weird and wonderful teachings about, you know, what what means what and what you should do and why you should do it and why the Malachi storehouse means the local church. Where I'm at with this is, is we need to do this before the Lord with integrity of heart. I can't personally build a doctrine on some of these things, but I can share with you what our practice is as your leaders. Our our practice for 29 years has been to tithe gross, not net. Well, what that means is if, if you earn 100 pounds and you pay tax on national insurance and you maybe get, say, 75 in your pay packet, what's the tithe? Is it, is it 10 pounds on the 100 or is it 7 pound 50 on the 75? Well, the, the reason we pay gross is because we're not tithing out of an abundance. We're tithing out of faith. So it really doesn't matter. But the other thing is, though there is a test of faith, We say it doesn't matter. And this is challenging, but it's also exciting if we actually get, get out of the restriction of it. But also, we're, princ- we're, we're tithing out of a principle of first things, that the first things belong to God. That actually, if we could get to the money that we're paid before the tax man does, then the first portion belongs to the Lord. So I, I don't, we don't tithe further down the line. That's us. But I won't go to war with you on it if you take a different view. Secondly, we've always tithed to our local church. And there's a number of reasons for that. We, we believe that offerings are over and above. But actually, God puts all of his people in family, puts all of his people in a body, which is God's plan on earth. That if we want to give to other things, that's, that's what offerings are about, including here, but further afield. We also believe it is the clearest New Testament pattern. of The New Testament, the, those who it was, it's remarked that at times people sold houses, sold land, and they, the money that they brought, and the phrase is, they laid it at the apostles' feet, they had what, the, they, they didn't control what they did with it. They brought it to their leaders and they said, before God, you have responsibility of what to do with this in the advancement of the kingdom. You might say, well, that's easy for you to say, like you, you are the leader. Let me say, it's a fearful responsibility before the Lord as to how we steward the money of the house. That's not something I relish or that I go after because we'll be accountable for that. But but here's the thing, that before we were leaders, and, and when we no longer lead, when, when our time comes and someone else comes along and leads this church into the next season, and I'm serving on the car park, and Esther's on refreshments, can't wait to get on the car park, the, um, that, the, that at that time, we will bring our tithe, and we will lay at our leaders' feet. And you know what I think there's something really powerful happens in terms of submission and coming under the covering of a leadership to do that so I'm not going to control this I'm going to submit this something happens in our hearts when we do that that's one of the reasons why that has been our practice we've loved to do it. and besides which we delight to invest in the vision of what God is doing through the house that we belong to the second thing way that I think we should tie this with joy can we say with joy with joy. I love this in the message, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 8, remember, or 6 to 7, so remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop, but a lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over. Make up your own mind what you will give. It will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Yesterday was my birthday, and um, three... Yeah, no, don't start singing. It's all right. I don't know. My my children, in their in their own respective ways, were all incredibly generous um, for, with me on my birthday, and that was so lovely for me. It was so beautiful. Um, it, but you know, it, it was beautiful. Not not so much. And as much as I love I love what they got me. But it wasn't, that wasn't the main thing. It was the fact it was an expression of our relationship. But you know, if one of them had come and said, well, I I bought you this, but it was really expensive, and I've been saving up for ages, and there are loads of things I wanted to do, actually, with that money, but it's all gone into this now, (laughs) um, you know, who who knows that it would have slightly tarnished the gift. And I think if we calm, going, I'll put it in the pot, it's, hey, let us let it be part of our worship. Let's, if we're going to enter in, let's do it with joy. And let's celebrate when we do it. I love it. The, the Bible says God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Say, Lord, I'm trusting you. Now, sometimes we've been there with the pot where we're going, oh, God. The pot's coming down the road. We stop it for a bit. Because we're in one of those moments in our lives where we're going, God, you need to help us here. I mean, like he doesn't know that. But I'm just going to remind him. Lord, this, this is an act of faith right here, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You know, but really, I want to have a heart that is full of joy. I have a heart that's full of joy when, when I give. Uh, thirdly, I think we sh- we should give with consistency. You know, maybe you've begun at some time and stalled. It's an area we can come back to and say, Lord, I need to put this right. No problem. To say, do I need to backdate? Listen. It's between you and the Lord. Take a fresh start, but, but do what you need to do. Maybe you've recently joined us as a church. You just not got round to it. It's one of the things you can just not get round to. But ultimately, it's, it's not about paying membership. It's about honoring the Lord. Maybe you think, as someone once said to me, I, I need to do a bit of tithing to soon. Let me help you out here. You, you can't do a bit of tithing. If you give 10% one month, in 10 months it will be 1%. Hello? We have to be consistent in our approach. Bring the whole tithe, the Lord says, into the storehouse. The Hebrew word is kol. It means everything. Everything. Entirely, missing nothing in totality. But most important and last, uh, I, I encourage us, how should we tithe? We should tithe with faith. This is what this is all about. It's me- Now, if you are in such a position financially that, that you can tithe easy and give offerings over and above, well, that's that's fantastic for you, and you have a responsibility before the Lord. As to how you're going to steward your wealth. I'm glad I'm not in your shoes. I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to have to stand before him and be uh, accountable for that. But, but if this is a journey of faith, good, it's meant to be a journey of faith. It, it never made any sense to an Israelite to sacrifice the firstborn. The, the first lamb. Surely you'd want to get all the lambs out and then work out to give something. Not to give the first one when nothing else has even been born yet. But the Lord says, give me the first one. The first and the best. You know, the Israelites, they go into the promised land. The first city is Jericho. And the Lord says, all of the wealth of Jericho, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, it all belongs to me. It is holy to me. Consecrate Jericho. Why? Because it's the first city. He doesn't say it. Any other cities. The principle of the first and the best. They had to give it with faith. They'd gone into Jericho. They didn't know for sure. The story wasn't finished there. It was unfolding whether they were going to take any other cities. Even though God had helped them. But he says, trust me in this. Why? Because it brings us into a place of faith. So I want to encourage us that we step out in faith. Maybe you're a a student or a young person or a teenager here or a a new Christian. I, I want to encourage you. That word that, that Esther brought earlier, wrestle, I found that interesting had, in the way she applied that, I don't think she had any connection with the message, but, I, but this can be an area of wrestle. And the word comes as some of us are in a wrestle, but trust in the name, trust in the name, trust in the name, the one who is faithful, the one who, who is, his name by the way is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and who sees to it. It's, a, it's an expression of faith. That I might trust Him, there might be a wrestle, but to trust Him and find that He is faithful. And our journey, I mean, time does not allow, and some of you have heard some of our stories, of how God has provided for us. Through the challenging seasons, through, through me as a, as a student, then as a, as a young guy, you know, what I first... Finished uni, I was working for a church. I was if you if you do the calculator, it was before minimum wage. I was paid way below what today would be the minimum wage. There was too much month at the end of the money every every month. And yet I tithed, and somehow the Lord provided. I remember when you know, we, we got married and we stepped out and we were able to, to get our first home together and we saw the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But I remember when I stepped into, into ministry, and our eldest son was, was just four or five weeks away from being born, and Esther went on maternity leave, my salary halved, and I remember like two weeks after we stepped into that, on one weekend, our car engine blew up, our toilet broke, and rain started pouring into our bedroom uh, on a Sunday night after church. And I remember we sat on the bed, and we just laughed. We're like, Lord, we're trusting you. Lord, we're trusting you in this. But we never stopped tithing. We never stop because, we, because it's faith. We're saying, Lord, we're trusting you. We're not bailing out, but you got to do your part of covenant. And do you know what? He's always done his part of covenant. He's never let us down. He's never failed us. And I, I dare you and I challenge you. And it'll transform your relationship with God because God is drawing us into this, not because he wants your money, because he wants your heart. And when we do it, he forces, if I can say this, maybe that's not the right word, but it's like he forces or exhorts us strongly to dependency so he can see that we trust him and we can see that we trust him and then we can see that he provides. Hello? (laughs) You could say that that means I make the first move. I want to say, no, the cross was the first move. He's already made the first move. But ours is the next move. You know, it's crazy to say I'm trusting God for the eternal salvation of my soul, but I won't trust him to the end of the month. Let me say that again. It's it's crazy to say I'm trusting him for the eternal salvation of my very soul, but I won't trust him to the end of the month. I know this is a stretch for some people to step out in faith, but I tell you, this transformed my relationship with God. It never transformed the, the finances of a church, but it transformed my relationship with God. And I encourage you to, to step out. And as I invite the band up, we're going to hear a little clip from Pastor Jimmy Evans that we've shown here before, but it's, it, it so captures the heart of what I'm trying to communicate today that I want to play it again. And it's from the series, The Blessed Life, that we showed in our life groups. As the band comes, let's listen to this.
1: I was raised, I wasn't raised in poverty, but I was raised down the street from it. (laughs) And uh, I worked from the time I was 10 years old. I mowed yards, I I, I threw newspapers at four in the morning for many years. I went on Saturday morning to the donut store and filled a wagon with donuts, went door to door and sold donuts. I hauled hay, I plowed. I, I worked in a car wash and when Karen and I got married, I was working in a car wash. And so my family worked very, very hard and we didn't have any discretionary income. We, just, we survived. So when Karen and I got married, I was working for my uncle at his appliance store, and I was making $7,000 a year. That was my total income. I went to college. I was doing that, and Karen was a stay-at-home mom. And we lived in government housing. Um, you had to be broke to qualify, and we qualified instantly. <laughs> and our, your house payment was based on your income, and our house payment was $109 a month. And so it, we were, but we were just overjoyed, you know, to have a place to live. And so we went to church. Living in that house at that time, we went to church one Sunday, and the preacher was preaching on giving. Well, I had I had never even thought about the concept of giving money to a church, you know. So the preacher stood up and started talking about us giving 10% of our income to the church. I thought he's crazy. I feel a lot sorry for me, more sorry for me than I do this church. I'm, there's no way. I, I was just disgusted, and I just folded my arms and I thought I'm never coming back to this place. You know, preaching on giving, want my money. So we, we go home, and I'm just, you know, I just kind of put it out of my mind when we get home, and Karen walks up and says, I like that preacher's message. <laughs> what? And she said, Jimmy, can I give $40 to the church? I mean, I, 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 just, did, I just thought I was gonna die. I mean, I wanted money. I, I had a dream of having money in my pocket that I didn't have to pay somebody. I wanted money. I'd never had money. And I thought if you had money, all your problems went away. And I wanted money. That was one of my dreams. And when Karen walked up and said, can I get $40? We didn't have, the only way we made it was float. You know, we, we never had money at the end of two weeks. I got paid every two weeks. I mean, we, about 12 days into the two weeks, we were broke and we wrote checks that didn't land for a few days. Anybody understand float? That's the, <laughs> that's the only way we survived was by float. So Karen comes up to me and says, can I give $40 to church? And I thought, well, I've got two answers. One one is I say no and God strikes me dead. And the other is I say yes and we go broke. So yes, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead and live and say yes. Yeah, and so, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. It It just freaked me out. So Karen, you know, gave $40 to the church. And I just thought, I married a fanatic and she's gonna kill us. So she gives $40 to the church. So for two weeks, we didn't get any more money in or anything like that. Two weeks goes by, and we're, I'm trying to survive to the next paycheck, and nothing, you know, happens mysterious or anything like that, but at the end of two weeks, we had money in the bank. For the first time ever, we had money in the bank. And, and so I thought, oh, thank God we survived that. Oh, thank God. Thank God. Karen walks up and says, can I give 40 more dollars? I said, oh, Karen, oh, no, 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 don't, no. We survived. We survived that $40 thing that you did. But she was very sweet in a kind of an evil way, and she, can I give another $40? And it's like, Karen, you want to give again? Yes, I'd, I'd like to give again. Well, whatever you think, whatever you think. You know, so she gave again, same thing happened again. I, I can't put a calculator to it, I can't, no big checks came in the mail. But I'm just saying something happened in our finances that even caused my hard heart to start thinking God was up to something. And then she gave again, then she gave again, then she gave again. Then I remember the first time we wrote a check that represented 10% of our income. And I thought, I'm pretty much the most spiritual man on earth. And then, (laughs) and of course then it was our giving. (laughs) We give to the Lord. So, that preacher disgusted me And he changed our family. For generations, our children tithe off the first money they ever got in their lives. And they have given since the day they were little bitty kids, givers. See, we were first generation givers. It was really hard on me. Giving broke a spirit of poverty off my life and an orphan spirit off of my life. And I know God because of giving. Sometimes when I preach on giving, it makes people mad. I understand that, totally understand it. But I'm your best friend. And generations from now, your life will be different if you give to the Lord. Can we
0: stand together? Can we pray? If you're willing, I wonder if you just put your hand on your heart. Lord, I thank you that you're after our heart. Lord, we sing that song sometimes, that you're coming after me. No wall you won't tear down. And I thank you, Lord, you come after us. Thank you, Lord, that you're after our hearts because you love us so much. And I pray, would you help us? Help us, Lord, where there is an enemy trying to stand in the way of us, walking in freedom and trust with you. Lord, that would even try and pervert a message like this and and let it seem as though it's something that it isn't. I pray, help us to come before you, to know that your plans are good and your ways are good and your ways work. And I pray, help every one of us to trust you and honor you.